and um, we want to be looking at this text today, our comfort in hope. You know, there's a lot of joy in this life, and uh, we uh, enjoy living and being in relationships and so forth. This morning, um, we had the pleasure overnight to have uh, two of our grandchildren stay with us, Carson and Abigail, and uh, they were uh, up this morning, and I, I was kind of helping get going and uh, doing hair and stuff like that. Hey, I did my first ponytail yesterday, by the way, just so that you know. I raised three boys, didn't know how to do that. I figured it out. But uh, but anyway, so this morning I'm sitting there, and I'm, uh, I'm working on Carson's hair. And Carson, when I had hair, Carson has hair like I had when I had hair. All right? He got cow licks just all over the place. And boy, we, we get the water bottle out because that's how you live with cow licks, okay? You get the water bottle out, and you squirt, and you squirt, and you press, and you press, and you brush, and you brush. And, man, I got it out, and I, oh, I got that old hair all styled and nice, and I stepped back. Abigail, of course, standing there watching, and uh, stepped back, and I said, yeah, you're handsome, just like your papa. And Abigail looked at Carson, she looked at me, and she looked at Carson, she looked at me, and she said, but you don't have hair. I live for joy like that, okay? <laughs> these little These little phrases coming out of my grandchildren and things, but... You know, Paul is addressing something that uh, we don't always want to talk about. And one of those things is death. Uh, death is a reality for everyone. Uh, it just really is. And Paul here in, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, uh, in verses 13 through 18, is helping the Thessalonians understand uh, not merely death, but the hope that there is. The hope that there is beyond the grave and specifically for those who have fallen asleep in christ you may recall that this is a new congregation a new uh set of believers if you will paul had gone there uh, with his companions they had uh planted this church they began to uh, preach the word of god many believed and they got run out of Thessalonica after about three months and so uh, they've been, uh, Timothy has gone to check on them. He's reported back to Paul. And Paul has written them a letter just encouraging them uh, and instructing them. And here he is instructing them. Since the beginning of chapter 4, uh, we have been noticing some instruction that Paul has been given. He's been encouraging them to live in such ways as to please God. Uh, to walk in particular ways, to live in a particular way. So there's a way uh, uh, Christians uh, ought to walk and live our lives in this world to the pleasure of God. And uh, so he urges these believers there in chapter 4 to abstain from sexual immorality. Uh, we talked about that one week. He talked to them about loving one another and, and, and caring for one another, but also to work. Uh, for believers ought to be those who labor, who work, who provide for themselves and also will provide for others. So he's laid these things out, but now he's turning a corner, uh, still giving instruction, but he's given instructions to people who don't fully understand something. Paul, you said Jesus was coming back, but my dad just died and he believed in Christ. Is he going to miss the return of Christ? That's the question that's sitting behind this passage. Uh, what happens? Are they just gone? 
and they missed it. And Paul's saying, oh no, let me lay out some hope for you. Let me give you some hope. Death is just this reality that we face. Not only do we wrestle with the reality of our own mortality, uh, that we indeed will die, but we face the heavy burden of grief associated with the death of someone we love. And that's where Paul is. We want you to grieve with hope. We all grieve. One way or the other, we grieve. We have lost. We've lost people that we love very near to us, very dear to us. Walked with many people through that dark and lonely valley. It's not easy. It's not easy when people lose. Both young and old. I did a funeral for a memorial service yesterday. Um, and for a lady that I'd known for over 25 years probably, or nearly 25 years, she was 92 years old. But I've also done memorial services and funeral services for two-year-olds. I've tried to care for families who have lost people that are old, moms, dads. Those who have died of natural causes and those who took their own life. How do you grieve with hope? That's one of the questions I want to try to answer today. Um, This passage is often looked to to define eschatological boundaries. That's not the purpose of this text. The purpose of this text is not to tell us when the Lord's coming. The purpose of this text is to remind believers, live with hope in the face of grief. Understand, many of these believers were being beaten, imprisoned, and some of them possibly killed by the governing authorities in Thessalonica at the time. So they're wondering this question, what happens now? We're to grieve with hope. How how do we do that? We notice there in verse 13, we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. In other words, uh, the, the basic thing about Christians we need to understand is we have hope. We have hope. All right? That's, that's the implication of what he just said. We have hope. I don't know if you all remember the first uh, sermon I preached on YouTube when all this stuff started happening. One of the things I tried to point out was this. We are the people who are not afraid to die. <laughs> that's who we are. We're the people who are not afraid to die. We're believers. 
what's coming to us is far better. So uh, he, he's pointing this out. We want you to have hope. But there's another thing. And this, notice the sandwich that's going on here, okay? There's this scripture sandwich, this passage sandwich. First of all, you have hope. We want you to grieve in that way. Look at the bottom, verse 18. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. This passage is about the encouragement of believers. All right? The things of Christ returning that are mentioned in Scripture, they always point back to something. Y'all know what that is? How to live right now. Okay? How to live right now. How do we live our lives now in light of the fact that Jesus Christ is returning? How do we live faithfully and in ways that bring pleasure to God, that please God? So I want to look at those things, and I have three points that I want to mention. The first is this. Theology comforts us y'all hear that all right i use that that word theology comforts us all right i I came up in in ministry and people were talking about we don't want to use churchy words yes we do okay yeah we do we want to define them we want to use them we want to make sure people understand them all right theology comforts us We're going to see that here in this text. Secondly, our present hope is in our future resurrection. Our present hope is in our future resurrection. And thirdly, encourage one another with truth. That's three. Encourage one another with truth. So let's look at these three things in answering the questions. How do we grieve with hope and how do we encourage one another? All right? First, theology comforts us. Uh, Let me read uh, 13 and 14. But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. (laughs) Did y'all see that? Look at verse 14. Our faith is grounded. Our faith is grounded in this truth. It's what we think about God. What do we think about God? Jesus is God. He is the Son of God. He died on the cross. He was buried and He rose again. Early document that I preached here, uh, preached through the the points of uh, a few years ago. 
something like seven years ago, I think, uh, called uh, the Apostles' Creed, says this, I believe in Jesus Christ, His only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to hell or the grave. Uh, the third day, He rose again from the dead. He ascended to heaven and is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there, He will come to judge the living and the dead I believe this and what I believe guides my life right doesn't it I mean what you believe guides your steps it guides what you think and what you do and so it's important to know what do I believe as a Christian and that belief has an effect not only on our living, but also in our dying and also in our grieving. And so notice what he says here. Uh, For since we believe, what? That Jesus, look, look where he starts. Look what it says. That Jesus died and rose again. Since we believe this. Since we have this foundational doctrine, since this is in the depths of my soul, my mind has been changed, and death is not the end. How do I know? Jesus rose again. That's how I know. And so the resurrection of Jesus is a reality. And it's on that reality and on that basis that Paul is encouraging these new believers and encouraging us by the fact that he knows Jesus rose again. Now, he doesn't say much more about that in particular. He rose again, even so, through Jesus, God will bring with him. He immediately goes to him coming back. But, you know, Paul has dealt with this prior in another of his letters to First. To 1 Corinthians, to the Corinthians. His first letter to the Corinthians, chapter 15. So let's look at that. Because, man, there are portions of it that really are uh, just more developed doctrinally than 1 Thessalonians. His, his aim with the Thessalonian church is not to uh, go incredibly deep uh, theologically. Uh, but in 1 Corinthians, he certainly does on the topic of resurrection. So in Resurrection chapter 15, verse 12, 1 Corinthians 15, 12. I'll get it right. I said that all weird, didn't I? <laughs> okay, so verse 12 of 1 Corinthians 15. Now, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead. I love this passage. So if I get excited, y'all just hang on. Uh, uh, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there's no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. We are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise, if it is true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, and you are still in your sins. 
then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. Y'all see, boy, that applies right there to 1 Thessalonians 4. They perished if he's not raised. Y'all see the significance of resurrection here, uh, the resurrection of Christ? If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. Man, he's, he's laying it out here in 1 Corinthians. He's letting them know. I mean, you say Christ didn't raise. Man, you, you have no hope if Christ hasn't been raised. Now, I don't know about y'all, but I have hope in the blood of Christ that my sins have been forgiven and washed away. I have hope in the truth that the Word of God tells me that those who trust in Jesus Christ uh, have been born again. They are made new. Their sins are forgiven, and they have the gift of eternal life. I love that. I love the hope that is found in that. I believe that truth. And Paul is saying, man, if you have that, if you have trusted in Christ, if you have given your life to Him, then the power of the resurrection is yours. And it has an effect on your life now and in the life to come. So as I look to this, uh, I see that Paul is just laying out to them, this is a reality. The resurrection of Jesus is a reality. And it's in that truth where he lays uh, the, the, the potential of hope for those who have believed in Christ. He raises our expectations. Christ has been risen. Okay, what good is that for me? Well. I believe in Jesus Christ. I believe that he died and was buried. I believe the third day he rose again. And what Paul is letting them know is this truth. Having believed that and us knowing that has the effect of stirring hope in our hearts. Stirring up hope in us that we have a day coming where we will see the Savior face to face. So he's uh, camping out here in this, in this text in 1 Thessalonians 4, since we believe Jesus died and rose again. Let me pause there. Do you believe Jesus died and rose again? Do you? Has believing Jesus died and rose again brought your heart and your mind to this place of repentance? I'm not walking this way anymore. I'm walking this way. For since we believe, not if we believe, since we believe, if that's true, And he's saying to them, I know it's true of you. Even so, through Jesus, God will bring him with him those who have fallen asleep. Well, I I want to touch on that for just a moment. He will bring with those, bring those with him. Sorry, God will bring with him those who have fallen sleep Paul's not so concerned about when 
He will do that. He's concerned with that. He will do that. Foundationally, Christ has risen. Here's something that we can expect. He's bringing with Him. Whether He brings them with Him from glory, where their souls are with Him, or whether he, this word is taking them, either one. I want you to see that it's telling us the effect, if you will, or what follows the resurrection of Christ is the resurrection of those who are in Him. Going back over to 1 Corinthians, Paul deals with that thought right after what I read earlier in chapter 15 of 1 Corinthians, uh, verse 20. And I like how he just lays this out. He's been arguing, you know, if, if, if Christ isn't raised, then you're without any hope. But he doesn't want to leave it fuzzy, okay? I like how Paul doesn't like leaving things fuzzy. And so what does he do in verse 20? But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. And then look what it says. The first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. That's the same, that same euphemism he uses in uh, 1 Thessalonians. Those who have fallen asleep, a term used to de describe those who have died in Christ. For Verse 21, for as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. But each in his own order. Christ, the first fruits, he's already risen. And then at his coming, those who belong to Christ. <laughs> it's coming today. When the dead in Christ will rise. And Paul explains later on, and those who are left, those who are alive and remain, will be caught up together with them in the clouds. He does that here also. First fruits. You know what first fruits are? Those were the fruits and the grains and so forth that were offered to God. Okay? Harvested. Offered up to God. And do you know what the first fruits of a crop meant? There's more to come. There's more to come. This isn't everything. There's more to come. There's many that he's bringing to glory. All right? There's many that will be raised uh, on that day, the Lord's day, the day of the Lord, which he talks about later on uh, in the next section in, in uh, 1 Thessalonians. We see that there's this, uh, this resurrection coming of those who are in Christ. All right? I, I've talked many times, and y'all may have heard me say this before, but just in, in, in hearing the imagery that's going on with uh, the coming of the Lord and the gathering up of the saints... That's going to be a physical thing, by the way, okay? There's going to be a physical resurrection. Man, is that going to rock folks' world or what? All right? I've always kind of thought, you know what? I want to be at a cemetery when this happens. All right? Because, man, and it's going to be fast, you know. But it's, if I'm still alive and that happens, man, I, I'm going to be preaching this funeral and, you know. 
this person that, you know, the bodies are going to be changed and there's going to be resurrection. That's what he's talking about here. New bodies. Good bodies. Buff bodies. All right? No more hair. You laugh. The day's coming. And Paul is stirring in their hearts this hope. Hey, not only did they not miss it, but they're going to experience it before you do. And so I, I want us to see this truth. The first fruits, Christ the first fruits. There's more to come. That's what that's talking about. That more to come is you and I. John says in his first letter, you know, I don't know what we're going to be like. But on that day, we'll be just like him. We'll be as he is. Paul's using theology, the resurrection of Christ and the resurrection of believers that is yet to come but will come. How do I know? Christ rose. How do I know I'll be raised? Christ rose. Y'all let that sink in. Not because I say so, but because the Word of God says so. I know that I will be raised with Him because Christ was raised. That's great news. That's good news. Man, for the people who hurt all the time, that's good news. People who have lost loved ones, that's good news. Theology comforts us. Man, don't, don't let theology pass you by. Don't just walk past the truths of the Word of God and say, we really don't need to know this. We just need to know this. No, you need to know the foundation of it. And the foundation is the resurrection of Jesus Christ, our Lord and our Savior. Because if He ain't raised, ain't nobody going to be raised. Secondly, our present hope is in our future resurrection let me give you three things here our hope is to be with jesus look with me at verse 17 first thessalonians chapter 4 then we who are alive who are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the lord in the air and so we will always be with the Lord, to be with the Lord. Paul says in Philippians, you know what? To live is Christ and to die is gain. What's so gain about it? He says it later on. He says to be with Christ is far better. Better than what? Anything. I mean, we could sit here and play this game all day long. You could say, you know, is he better than this? Yes. Is he better than this? Yes. Yes, he's better than anything. Anything you've got in this world. He's better. 
Our hope is to be with Jesus. To be with Him forever and ever. To always be with the Lord. Paul says this in 2 Corinthians 5, So we are always of good courage. We know that while we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord, for we walk by faith, not by sight. Yes, we are of good courage, and we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please Him. And what he's saying is to be with the Lord is great. So our hope is to be with Jesus. Our present hope now is for our future hope that is to come. Secondly, our hope is that our loved ones who belong to Christ will be with Jesus. Look at verse 15 and 16 in 1 Thessalonians 4. For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Those we love, they're going to rise first that are in Christ. He says, that are in Christ. We have great hope for those who we love and that they are in Christ and that they will be raised with Him. Thirdly, Our present hope is in our future resurrection. Our hope is presently lived out in faithfulness. What does it mean for our present hope is in our future? Yeah, I'm looking forward to that, but what do I do now? What do I do now? In light of the return of Jesus Christ. Can I turn back over to 1 Corinthians one more time? And... If you read, by the way, the, uh, the last portion, verses 50 through the end of 1 Corinthians 15, you will see a parallel passage with the passage in 1 Thessalonians. But I want to just jump to the bottom, to the last verse. Listen to what it says. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. He writes this verse at the backside, at the end of a whole chapter that is dedicated to the gospel of Christ and the resurrection of Christ and that is to come. Here's the last thing he says. What's he talking about? He says, since this is going to be, since Christ is coming back, since resurrection is a reality, uh, since the end of all things are coming, I want you to understand something, brothers. Live in a steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord way. This is defining who we are, steadfast. What's that mean? What does it mean, steadfast? I'm not going to waver from one side to the other. It's kind of like in Ephesians where it talks about uh, being tossed to and fro by the waves of doctrine. Ah, I ain't moving. Christ is Lord. I'm not moving. 
I'm not going to veer either direction. I'm going to remain steadfast. I'm going to keep course. All right? And then you got this other one that's immovable. All right? Immovable. Uh, let's live in a steadfast way. I'm not veering. I mean, sorrows come. I'm not going away from Christ. Heartaches come. I'm not going away from Christ. Pain comes, imprisonment, persecution, uh, uh, martyrdom of people that you love, uh, the loss of others. No, I'm not steering away from Jesus Christ. I'm staying on course. Steadfast. That other is immovable. Immovable. In other words, Sometimes our circumstances will come against us and try to, and we'll, we, we may get, uh, want to go off course and we don't. This is somebody coming up and just grabbing hold of you and saying, You're coming with me. Oh, no, I'm not. It's trying to get that person up out of the seat that does not want to budge. No, I'm not moving. I'm not moving from what I believe. I'm not moving from the truth of the Word of God. I am not moving. I'm staying. Well, we're going to burn you with fire. Bring it on. We're going to throw you to wild beasts. Bring it on. It's like Polycarp. Polycarp was immovable. Man, he was holding fast to Christ. He found, man, they, they, they said, man, I have fire. I said, bring on the fire. You've you got a fire that's going to burn for a moment. But you're going to experience fires that will last forever. Stop talking about it. Bring what you will. And this 86-year-old guy just died just like that. We look and we see and we need to understand that, that God has, uh, is working in us this beautiful faithfulness. And we are to be immovable. And not only that, abounding. Outdoing in working and serving and doing the work of the Lord. That's what he's called us to. That doesn't mean you have to serve on a committee or teach a Sunday school class or anything like that. That's not what that's necessarily saying. What it is saying is, is that there's someone who needs my help. I'm going to go help them in Jesus' name. Here's someone I walk with all the time. I wonder if they're going to heaven. I wonder if they know Jesus Christ. I wonder if they've repented of, your sin, of their sins. Let me share with you the gospel of Christ. Doing the work of the Lord. Abounding in it. Not merely just every once in a while, but it's a pattern of my life. That's what he's called us to. And our hope is presently lived out in faithfulness of staying steadfast and immovable and abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that the work of the Lord, your labor, is not in vain. You may think it is. Well, I've been working with this guy for 10 years, and he's never come to know the Lord. Now he's moving away. I'm not going to have any influence. I'm going to tell you, it's not your influence that's going to change that person's life. It's the gospel you preach to that person that's going to make the difference. That's doing the work of the Lord and leaving the results of the work of God in His hands. 
So he calls us to faithful labor. So knowing that God's coming back, knowing that Christ is returning, what do we do? Live faithfully. I mean, live your lives, not in fear, not in doubt, but in the boldness and the truth of the Word of God. You know, some people walk through very difficult pain and sorrow and loss and all sorts of various things, and we need to know that God does not waste those things. Any sorrow that we have where we need comfort, the comfort of the hope that Christ is returning, God is going to use that for His glory and for your good. Thomas Watson says this, God takes away the world that the heart may cleave more to Him in sincerity. And then he says another one, It's hard to grasp sometimes unless you've experienced it. God sweetens outward pain with inward peace. God sweetens outward pain with inward peace. Our present hope is in our future resurrection, and that means we can live our life fullest and in the fullness of Christ who loved us. And gave us eternal life. So how do we grieve with hope? We let theology comfort us. The truth of the word of God. How do we grieve with hope? We look forward to that future resurrection. But we live out faithfulness in this world. But then the last thing is this. How do we encourage one another? We encourage one another with truth. You ever heard this? Maybe in a time of suffering, time of loss. It's going to be okay. No, it's not. They're not thinking that. Have you ever heard something like this? Well, you know where they are. Most of the time, they just know where they're not. And they're not with them. I just want you to know that truth. Paul is pointing to that they are with Christ ought to be of comfort to us. But in that moment, It just hurts. So encourage each other with truth. Look at the last portion here of First Thessalonians chapter four, verse eighteen. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. First thing I want you to know from this point is grief requires company. Encourage one another. Grief requires company. 
If you're grieving and you're trying to do it alone, you got to have company. you got to have company. got to have somebody that walks with you, that weeps with you. Grief requires company. Someone who hears you and is silent. Job's friends, they showed up. Job lost everything, sitting in ashes, covered with sackcloth. There they sat. They came and sat with him, covered in sackcloth. They were great counselors until the day they opened their mouth. Read it. Job actually says, you are miserable counselors. Grief requires encourage one another. And then lastly, grief requires truth. Therefore, encourage another, one another, look at it, with these words. The word of God, by the way. Not just these words, but these words. These words. Talking about depth of truth. Talking about the balm that comforts. I, I recall many years ago being with a guy who actually, I didn't know it at the time, but he was teaching me. And he was bringing sacks of books up to the church. Good books, all right? These weren't trash, man. These were Puritans. These were uh, Thomas Watson and, and Charles Spurgeon and all these guys. And he'd been a chaplain, retired from the United States Army, and then was a chaplain at the uh, prison unit. His name was Mike Fleming. First Baptist didn't have a pastor at the time. Uh, our longtime pastor had gone. And I was all he had. So while he was dying of cancer, he was teaching me how to pastor. Bringing me these books. Man, this one's really good. And as we sat in the hospital, he and I and his wife, he said, Rick, He paused about that long to get a breath. Read Psalm 91. I thought, okay. And so I did. And I just read it to him. And there he and his wife sat on the edge of his bed just holding each other. As I read, he who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say to the Lord, my refuge and my fortress, my God, in whom I trust. For he will deliver you from the snare of the fowler and from the deadly pestilence. He will cover you with his pinions and under his wings you will find refuge. His faithfulness is a shield and buckler. And I kept going and going. And going, as I looked up, tears just coming down their face. 
You know why? They believed the Word of God. They knew His days were few. They knew that these words were true. Cancer would take His life. But Jesus took his soul. He says, man, you want to know how to encourage people? Read the word of God to them. Point them to the resurrection of Jesus. Let them know that death does not win. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? It's gone. You know why? Jesus Christ, our Savior, our God, our King, has overcome sin and He has overcome death. Rick, how do you know? How do you know the wages of sin is death? How do you know He overcame? He rose from the dead. Death couldn't hold Him. Sin couldn't hold Him. The wages of sin couldn't hold him. And if he overcame death, guess what he overcame on that cross? Sin. Gone. Can I say with Paul? Therefore, encourage one another with these words as you find your comfort in hope that is seated and set and founded on the reality of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Encourage one another with these words. Let's pray.